Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another great episode of Market Impact Insights. This year, we've been doing our tour of the C-suite, and we focused on the chief executive officer role. We've looked at the chief marketing officer role. We've talked to a chief financial officer. And today, we're going to extend to another critical role in the C-suite, chief information officer. And we've also talked to many leaders in for-profit organizations. Today, we're going to focus on an outstanding leader and CIO representing a global nonprofit. So we're going to shift and and get a different perspective here. And I am so excited to have Sue Taylor joining the conversation. Sue is an accomplished executive, uh, both in the nonprofit world, but also in the uh, for-profit world as well, with over 30 years of leadership experience that has spanned both the corporate and philanthropy sectors with a focus on information technology, human capital management, strategic planning, accounting operations, international business and governance. Sue is currently the chief information officer at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in Seattle. And for those that may not be that familiar with Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, for more than 20 years, The foundation has been a leading nonprofit fighting poverty, disease, and inequity around the world. And to do that effectively, it's required strong collaboration with businesses, governments, and other nonprofits. So Sue's going to bring a a great perspective on what CIOs can do and the critical importance of the C-suite in this organization that is doing so much good around the world. And I'm really excited to get Sue's perspective. Sue, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thank you, Dan. I'm thrilled to be with you today. So let's start out looking at your background, because when people think about CIOs, uh, they might assume that the career path is more of a traditional information technology or or a, a series of technical roles. But your path has been quite a bit different than that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure, Dan. I'd love to. Um, You're absolutely right. I often tell people, describe to people, my career is like a climbing wall, if you can imagine, that when you're climbing up this wall, there is not always a direct route to the top. Often you move around the wall and you have to go down in order to reach back up, and then you have to go across. And my career has been just one of that Um, picture of a climbing wall. I've had a great opportunity to flip between technology as well as business leadership. And I think that's what really adds the value of chief information officers in today's world is having really real life experience running a function in the business. And you and I have known each other for many years now. And, you know, I've had an opportunity to work and lead a global customer service organization. And I've had an opportunity to lead um, human resources and often come back and lead an IT organization. And I'm not a technologist as 
what people might think as a traditional technologist. I don't get a lot of thrill out of the new gadget that's out there. But what I really enjoy is understanding the business challenges and then how technology or sometimes not technology, a process can actually enable and improve that part of it. And since a lot of times youth talk about market and market impact, understanding the market drivers in a business is really important for CIOs to be successful. I couldn't agree more. And going back, though, thinking about earlier in your career, Sue, was it a planned and conscious decision that you wanted to take that very diverse path? Or is it something that just kind of developed a bit over time as you uh, picked up more experience and then you saw the opportunity to really bridge between those two different worlds? Yeah, I think it's, you know, there was something about um, when I started, I did start out in technology as a network engineer. And I have a very, very dear friend of mine who we worked together as sort of telecom server geeks, right? I mean, I used to, believe it or not, be able to read hexadecimal and code, Cisco routers. And and uh, I used to go over to his place and visit, and he would have these stacks of technology magazines. And I go, Mark, do you like really read those? And he goes, yeah, don't you? And I go, no, because if you go to my house, you get magazines like Times and Fortune Magazine and Business Week. And he says, well, why do you read those? And I go, well, because I find the business part of it so much more interesting. And this happened, honestly, at the very beginning of my career. So I already knew that that was an area that I was leaning towards. And then as my career moved, I have had um, not just great mentors, but incredible sponsors where they would reach out and ask me to take on new roles and um, and I would, it's almost like the door being opened and I just felt like I wanted to walk through it and learn some. And that's what happened in my HR role. I was asked by our CEO at that time if I would be interested in leading the HR function as the chief HR officer. And I said, you know, I don't know a lot about HR. I know how to manage people. And he says, well, we're looking for someone that understands the um to triage technology with people management as well as strategy. And so I, I based from, you know, having a great sponsor, uh, I walked through that door and learned so much. And, and that's really how my career evolved. Yeah, that is a really an interesting combination, isn't it? Leading the HR and an IT organization at the same time. But when you think about uh, the optimization of uh, systems and and the role that can play in terms of engaging with employees. I mean, it does make a lot of sense in terms of the benefit, but what that was a unique combination. It sure was. So you've obviously worked for a number of for-profit technology companies, and now you're at a major global nonprofit. Can you talk a little bit about what that transition has been like in terms of just moving to a different kind of organization? Yeah, I think, Dan, you know, when you think about technology, and and you've already heard me talk about it, technology for the sake of technology isn't that interesting. But technology for the sake of trying to make a change is interesting. And I think even for-profit technologies, there's always for-profit companies, there's always a drive to, you know, get that new product out faster or be able to um, impact 
and improve your customer experience in a much better way in order to stay competitive. You know, the biggest change for me moving to a nonprofit isn't much about the technology itself, but going to an organization that is heart-led, right? Not head-led. I always think of for-profit as head-led, right? You think about the profit and the product and the market. And in the nonprofit at the Gates Foundation, it's so much about what your heart leads you to do. You want to be looking for ways to use technology that will, at the end, support saving lives and making every life matter. And so that, to me, actually, that transition impacted me more personally than it really impacted me from a career perspective. I am a much different person today, five years later, than I was before I joined. Yeah, so this this transformational event uh, that you've gone through, uh, it, it sounds like just the mission and the cause is something that really just resonated with you. And so you end up just feeling connected more deeply at a personal level. Absolutely. It's it's just incredible working with the people on my team that we're all, we're all here for the same mission, right? And the way you treat each other, the way you think about how we do our work together is is so different. And I I just treasure every moment of the past five years. Well, it sounds like it's been just truly special. And certainly this past year has been like no other for all of us. And I'm curious in what ways has the pandemic impacted your perspective as a senior leader and a chief information officer? Yeah, I think, Dan, one of the things that um, is the tenets of really being a good leader is having a solid strategy and executing on that strategy. And we've been very fortunate at the foundation that we set a modernization strategy in place four and a half years ago and have been implementing on it over that time period and have modernized pretty much the majority of our platforms, including the fact that we were, most of our organization was on Teams. And so when the pandemic happened, our technology didn't even, you know, it just like clicked right over and everybody was able to go to Mm -hmm. a work from home mode without much of a hiccup. So that's been really great from that perspective. But I think the bigger part isn't about the technology, but as a senior leader, to be much more thoughtful about the way you're engaging with your team. You know, you're no longer you're no longer able to be sort of like, I'm a bit of an intuitive leader. I like to be able to sit in a room and see people's body language, walk down the hallway to talk to someone, be able to sense that they're not having a good day. And with the pandemic, you know, we've all moved to these virtual meeting rooms and what you see is a face in a box. And it's hard as a, as an, um, as a leader that is more intuitive I actually have to spend much more energy paying attention to faces on a Zoom call or a Teams call and to be thoughtful about making sure every voice is being heard. Um, I think as senior leaders today, that is a that is a big deal for us, making sure that we give people room to um, to, to connect. Uh, In fact, that's one of our themes for our team this year for 2021 is connection and finding moments of opportunity to connect 
in a way that isn't always a project meeting or a staff meeting. So I think those are the things that t- the pandemic has impacted me the most as a senior leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that theme is so appropriate. And as you have watched your team members have to make this transition to working remotely, did you see some of them struggle? Was there a period of time of just where everyone kind of had to get their their footing a bit more in terms of the new reality and then things smoothed out? I'm just curious, what did you see for them from their uh, transition? Yeah, I think, Dan, for, for people that are people managers, you know, the, the aspect of flexibility and tolerance and support was a big shift, right? Because not only did we all went to a work from home mode, as you know, many school systems went to a learn from home mode, right? Remote yeah, learning, right. which meant that parents were at home with their kids and maybe the kids were not at school age. So they have young inf- young children, toddlers to take care of or making sure the kids are on Zoom and that there's no technology issues. And I think one of the things that I saw my team and other people managers have to deal with is much more flexibility, working around school hours, maybe maybe not measuring whether a person is on a phone call or not, but really measuring more on the goals and expectations so they can do and work on their goals and their job on the hours that is best suited for their home life. And I think that's been the biggest struggle for us to, is to get into that kind of that groove. I think all of us that have kids dealing with the remote school experience and the juggling back and forth can really relate, Sue, to that. It's uh, not been easy. And uh, there's been some real uh, heroic uh, acts and and just creativity and flexibility, uh, both in terms of the parents that are working, but also the organizations that are flexible and understanding and supporting them. So it's definitely been uh, a real interesting year. And so we've talked about the collaborative technology, and that just has taken off. You think about Zoom, about Teams. Uh, There's just so much more video collaboration, all of that stuff coming together this past year and accelerating. I've heard that uh, some people have said that we we accelerated four or five years in just one year in terms of just the adapting to that new collaborative technology. But are there some other major technology trends you also see that are shaping the way you and other CIOs are thinking and planning for the next couple of years? Yeah, I think there are a couple, Dan. Um, you know, we have, as you know, talked about big data for years now. Boy, I would I'm probably aging myself if I said it's been at least a decade of talking about big data. But with some of the technology that, with text mining and artificial intelligence, and and really not just the technology itself, but the increased um, digital and data literacy that we find in the workforce today, those two things coming together Mm -hmm. is going to deliver much more improved insight to all of the work that we're doing. So uh, I think that's what's, you know, sometimes technology could be there, but if you don't have the culture and the skill set, they don't create that acceleration. We're we're in that acceleration mode today, right, when it comes to insightful use of big data. Modernization and cloud technologies is another area that we've talked a lot about. And I think there is probably very few organizations that are out there today that have not moved to some level of hybrid or full cloud 
um, platforms in everything they're doing. And so that, that allows us to free up our workforce and upskill our workforce to do a lot different things than the traditional database optimization, setting up servers. And so I think the technology itself is rapidly moving to the point where we can upskill and, and create a much more digital workforce in our environment. So the two things come really close together. Yeah, it, it feels like uh, really over the last decade, we've been on this road, uh, this inevitable path, uh, big data, and also um, just the, the rapid pace of uh, innovation in terms of cloud technology. So specifically for the foundation, Sue, how do you see technology and then this rapid innovation cycle specifically impacting the achievement of the mission of the foundation? Yeah, there's some incredible examples of some of what our grantees and partners have done. And as you, I don't know if you know, but much all of our work at the foundation is driven through our grantees and partners. And they have, I have, you know, cited some examples of some of the things that they have been able to do. For example, we have one of our partners that have created this ability to use hot air balloons and sit them up in the sky to sort of really shoot down internet access into regions where they actually have limited infrastructure for internet access, right? That is technology innovation at the finest. Or using drone technology to get blood plasma to the smallest village where you can't get to it unless you get on a bicycle and then a car and then a little boat and then you get to this village and using drone technology to deliver plasma at the most urgent need of a mother giving birth to a child, right? And so those are the types of things that I just love being part of and seeing how our grantees and partners are bringing that type of technology in in delivering to the mission of the foundation. And I'm curious, Sue, is there a snowball type of effect so that when those kinds of amazing transformational wins happen, right, that are really leveraging the technology, does that tend to just feed more interest, excitement, enthusiasm, and then more investment? So is it just a repeating kind of cycle where you're gaining more and more momentum? Well, absolutely. I mean, we're in the fourth industrial revolution, which is all about technology, right? I mean, there's some incredible things. I, you know, I always love to read some of the articles from the World Economic Forum and some of the things that people are working on. And with the uh, sustainable um, SDG goals of the United Nations and some of the goals that they have in reducing poverty by, you know, a certain time period, all of those things from a global perspective is pushing the envelope to accelerate this technology and helping solve some of these biggest, the biggest problems we have in the world. Yeah, it, it's truly amazing just how much is really happening, how much change is really being driven. And we also know from our collective experiences that in any organization, we can talk about the technology, we can talk about process, but so much about the ultimate effectiveness and long-term success is about culture and it's about how people actually collaborate and work together. And I'm curious, Sue, from your perspective within the C-suite, how have you seen your role in collaborating with the other functional leaders evolve? Uh, have you seen some changes over time? 
You know, Dan, I, I, I'm not sure if I would say there's been changes over time, only because I have had the experience of being on both the business side as well as the technology side. So I've always leaned in as a leader that believes to, ha- you know, to have uh, the best way for us to lead as an organization is to lead together, right? And to be able to work together hand in hand. And so that's just a Maybe that's the DNA that I have when I think about the way that I collaborate, communicate, and work with leaders. Um, every organization is at different maturity of how they work with an IT organization. And um, I wish I could say that every organization really knows how to partner with their technology partners. Uh, some believe, you know, I can say this, and I'm sure there are many CIOs, if they're sitting out there today, might smile when I say the words of shadow IT, you know, where uh, business leaders yeah. will continue to uh, deliver and um, create solutions for what is specific for what they do. Uh, I think the benefit for CIOs is to think about the enterprise, the global footprint, and how to scale solutions at every individual and customer or partner that you work with will actually benefit from the enterprise scale of what we do. So I think, I think the collaboration with other functional leaders continues to remain, continues and has to remain strong. And it's just part of my DNA to make sure that that's an important part of how we do things. We don't, we don't create an IT strategy without the input from our business partners. And we just refreshed our strategy, um, about 18 months ago, and that was after interviewing over 300 of our business colleagues. Wow. And listening to you talk about that dynamic of of the working together and getting the input, I would think, Sue, the fact that you have your personal experience having been a business side leader, right? Yes. And then coming into this role, have you seen that really pay off in terms of some credibility because people say, hey, you've been in my shoes uh, so, uh, do you feel like that helps? Uh, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, you know, I'm going to be truthful here. I mean, there are, there are people that, um, uh, like to know that you come in with both the business side and technology experience and work with you in a, a very different way. And, you know, you'll always run into a handful of folks that, um, don't see that as a benefit. So I, but, but I would say in the majority of the case, it, it has been, been beneficial. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And I know something else that you're very passionate about has been advocating for the growth of women in technical leadership roles. And and you've really been supporting that for some time. Can you share a little bit more about the new women's network that you've started and just your work in promoting that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Dan, you know, it is it is a sad state for us to sit here and talk about the fact that the pipeline of girls and young women entering technology fields has not improved over the past decade. I think the recent statistic, maybe it's 2019, shows that it's still about a 20% of women in technology fields that's in our educational pipeline. And so how, what do we do? What do we do to change that? Right? How do we, how do we make it a much more inclusive um, organization and support uh, young girls and women? So, at the foundation, we made it. We made a, a management decision that we would increase diversity within our workforce, 
And over the past four years, our um, technology team at the foundation is almost 50-50 gender mix. Uh, That is over a 25, almost 28% increase in gender diversity. Uh, So within the IT team at the foundation, we have our women in IT, and we sponsor an organization called Ignite. And that is being able to support young girls from middle school through high school and talking to them about the different opportunities in the STEM fields and creating work. We, we did a panel this year, but the last couple of years, we would bring girls in from different high schools and middle schools in the region and um, teach them and work, work through them a workshop of the te- different types of things that you can do in the technology field. I think also, uh, amazingly, and I'm so proud of the fact that the Pacific Northwest, Seattle area, Washington, Oregon, we have a large number of women in IT leadership roles. So a few of us uh, kept running into each other in panels many years ago and decided that, you know, we don't have a network of women leaders for us to network as a community, let alone support women leadership in our organization. So we started this Inspiring Women in the Pacific Northwest, and we're about 30 women CIOs out of Oregon and Washington today. And and we're not all of us yet. We're still out there finding more women that are in CIO positions. Mm -hmm. So we created this network that allows us to have a safe space to network together, to mentor each other, because we all need it, And to also look for venues to help support the women in our own organizations by sharing, you know, job opportunities. And we're we're about uh, to also kick off a little bit of a podcast series where we uh, interview these women IT leaders and be able to share that or do fireside chats and bringing each other into our own organizations to talk about our career and our growth and, you know, to answer any question that our women leaders may have as they're thinking about their careers. And so I'm just, I'm just amazed and thankful to be part of that organiz- that organization. That's fantastic, Sue. I'm curious, now that you've been on this journey and working with this amazing group of women leaders, was there anything that was surprising for you? Was there kind of a new new perspectives that you gained that maybe you didn't assume going in? Just, just anything that was kind of enlightening for you? I'm curious as, as you've gone through this. You know, the, the interesting thing is that in today's world, there are still a lot of um, male leaders in the CIO roles, right? Often there are so many conferences all over the nation. And when you actually look at the number of participants just by gender, you would I would say it's still 80 plus percent men that go to these technology conferences. And when you look at panels, you find a lot of um, male speakers on panels. And what I have discovered is with this network of women leaders is how many insightful leaders we have in the country, not let alone Pacific Northwest, that we should be figuring out a way to leverage and get their insight. Because because as women leaders, 
we're, we're, we think about change management and culture and organization mm-hmm. dynamics in addition to the technology piece of it. And there is a, and, th- and that's the world we're in right now with this pandemic. And so that has been an incredible insight to be part of this group. Yeah. And I think also with this uh, pandemic experience has probably just reinforced a global perspective, right? The, the reminder that as part of this um, diversity commitment that it's also taking in uh, a true global worldview. Right. Absolutely. And you've seen the statistics, Dan, right? The number, the percentage of women that have had to leave the workforce in the past 18 months, because they're still, even though they may be in a relationship with another partner, they're still the primary caretaker and they've had to leave. It's like, it's just astounding. So what do we need to do to support bringing them back to the workforce when we are on the other side of this pandemic? That's going to be an important challenge for all of us to lean into. Most definitely. So as we start to wind down our conversation, Sue, do you have any other final advice for leaders that are seeking sustainable success for either their teams or their organizations? Yeah, I think, you know, I believe in today's world with so much changing around us, the biggest sustainable success is to create, and we hear this all the time, but how do you actually internalize it? And that is really become a curious learning organization, always looking for ways to bring in new skills, um, not just technical skills, but innovation skills and, uh, you know, new ways to connect management and leadership skills. I think it's really important for us to really have a learning agenda as one of our number one priorities all the time, every day. I think about that every day, about not just learning for myself, but what could my teams be learning so they can continue to keep up with the change that we have in front of us today. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Sue, have you, with your experience, gained a perspective on an approach to any sort of learning initiative? Are there some things that are really important? If you're going to go and you want to get your employees just more aware and and more skilled and more knowledgeable about specific topics, I mean, what, what have you found to, to really work the best in terms of that approach? Yeah, Dan, we've, you know, we've spent a number of years thinking about um, our culture and the skills and our strategy, right? So as we lay out our strategy, we th- we think about not just the technology we need to learn, but what are the soft skills that we need to sort of integrate in with the technology skills, mm-hmm. right? And so my we our teams are really responsible to ensure that they're staying sharp on their technology and making sure that they go out and get their certification or go to different types yeah. of really important technology conferences to stay on top of that. And so what we spent some time doing over the last couple of years is thinking about those digital skill sets that Mm -hmm. are needed. And we have things like technology and innovation. And that's not technology and innovation from the pure technology perspective, but the business aspect of it, right? And making sure that people are learning about the business and creating that as a narrative and a competency within our organization and then lining that up with a training map, a learning map 
to say, how do you do that? And sometimes that learning map might be, go spend six months in this function to learn about what this function does. So I think it has to be a conscious effort to think through what are those critical talent and capabilities you need in your organization in order for you to drive to the implementation of your strategy, right? And then layer in that training learning map to consciously make sure it's in front of you, right? Because if you don't do it, it doesn't just happen. I mean, if you're lucky, it happens just for the sake of happening. <laughs> but, uh-huh. you know, not everyone is that um, not everyone will know what are the right things for them to learn to be successful in your organization. So I think leaders, and this is not just about technology, leaders in general should have a very conscious thought process on how they, what skills they need, how they're going to deliver to their strategy, and then how to create that learning map to make sure their team members are all sort of aligned and constant, constantly learning and having sort of, I call it this, having the same language, right? Right, right. Yeah, that is really sound advice. It's all about goal setting and getting alignment and uh, being able to measure key milestones along the way. Yep. It's simple stuff, right? It's what management (laughs) one-on-one books tell us all the time, but making it real is important. Well, Sue, thanks again for joining today and sharing your massive experience uh, as a leader in all sorts of for-profit and nonprofit organizations, and also for your great support of an organization like the Gates Foundation that is really making the world a better place. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Dan, for having me. And a reminder that if you enjoy this podcast, we really appreciate the gift of feedback. It's very easy for you to do that. Go out and uh, you can do that on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think. Uh, We really take that seriously and continue to evolve and make this podcast even better. And as always, please make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.